You're listening to Retail Refined, a market scale podcast with me, Melissa Gonzalez. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Retail Refined, a market scale podcast with your host, me, Melissa Gonzalez. Today, I'm excited to share my guest with you, um, Basil Masood, who is the Chief Executive Officer of Fabric, the industry's most modular and scalable commerce platform that empowers retailers to accelerate growth across all channels, otherwise called Headless Commerce, which he's definitely going to dive into to better educate us all on. With 20 plus years of experience in building and operating large scalable e-commerce businesses at Google, Amazon, eBay, Groupon, Staples, et cetera, his experience is centered around managing P&Ls and transforming experiences on behalf of the consumer. So we're going to dive in a little bit as well on what the evolution of the consumer has been. His focus on areas in merchandising, last mile delivery, 3D marketplaces, and customer-facing product platforms gives him a very diverse viewpoint as well. So really looking forward to digging in, getting to know um, Fassel better, and also the insights he can share in today's conversation. So thank you so much for being with us today. Of course. Thanks for having me, Melissa. Yeah. So that was very businessy, high-level introduction. So why don't you tell the audience a little bit more about yourself and your role at Fabric? Yeah, thanks. Um, I, uh, I've, as you mentioned, I've spent the past uh, two decades plus in in commerce. A uh, little bit accidental. I started my career as an analyst and uh, really fell in love with the retail early days, and um, ended up at Amazon along the way, and realized that um, I really liked e-commerce and uh, always felt that. Uh, if you could have the product delivered to you, why do you need to go to the store? Uh, not saying the store is not an important part of the journey, but it should be multi-channel out the gate versus just a single offering for the customer. So my career is different in a way that um, a lot of people that I've worked with uh, closely um, either are Amazonians or Googlers or have been at Staples many years, et cetera, or eBay. Uh, but they haven't had the type of diverse experiences that I've had, which has really been beneficial in terms of getting a full stack experience all the way from customer acquisition, all the way down to returns and uh, not just serving one geography in the U.S., but also serving a very global footprint. And having run these businesses and built a lot of technology along the years, um, it's it's really helped me. Um, understand the gaps that exist in commerce today and how those can be addressed. And, you know, examples of that were when we uh, built automated inventory management, Amazon, you know, Amazon's still about 15 years ahead of the rest of the world. Um, When we built reverse logistics with Amazon warehouse deals, very similar at eBay, when we built global um, cross-border shipping, same thing. And then Fabric was really uh, found, um, we found out of, um, um, an exercise we went through at Staples where we were on a monolithic platform meeting one single platform. This is all you can do. One little change on the website will take a month and a half. Uh, that wasn't really acceptable. So we moved to microservices, moved to headless. And we did that for a company the size of Staples. Uh, the challenge was why, why isn't everybody else doing this? And so Fabric was born out of that. I joined in uh, late uh, 2020. 
Great. Well, why don't we step back? What does headless mean? Because I think that the term headless commerce is synonymous with fabric, but not sure everybody fully understands what that means. Yeah, headless is a pretty simple term. It uh, you know Amazon's been headless for many many years. Um, it's just a microservices driven platform where each service powers um, each re- uh, commerce domain. And in this simplistic term, headless separates the front end what the consumer sees from the back end what the operators do. And every major retailer, brand, commerce provider um, wants to take control of the front end. They don't want to be bogged down by a bunch of templates that tell you what to do. They want to have their brand resonate with their customers so they can have control over the front end while getting the back end that they need and pick the best of the SaaS suite along for what they need for PIM or order management or pricing, et cetera. So Fabric enables that approach. Um, There's many different ways to slice headless. You have to be modular so you can pick and choose what you want and composable. So you don't have to just choose fabric. You can choose a PIM from um, a different provider and an order management system from a different provider. We don't really care. So it gives it, it's a very uh, democratizing process for folks who are looking to replatform. So just to dig in a little bit more, tell me a little bit about how does your team onboard a client and how do you help them identify their needs? We typically are a very, technical solution. So our um, customers will come to us with specific constraints. Uh, some customers are looking for a re-platform and uh, we typically encourage them to uh, go in a slightly different approach because I've never come across a re-platform that's actually gone well. Uh, when was the last time you heard an SAP implementation went well? It doesn't. It's three years later, two years late, uh, typically, you've lost a bunch of revenue at the tail end of it. Oh, by the way, it costs probably 100% more than what you anticipated. So we're the anti-replatforming company where we believe that, tell us what challenge you're trying to solve. And if it can be solved without doing a full replatform, then let's solve that part first and over time iterate. So our customers will come to us with constraints around their product hierarchy, their taxonomy for how they set up and vendor onboard items. But that's really a catalog issue or how they orchestrate their orders downstream from a third party provider to a first party provider from a store versus a kiosk versus a dark store. Well, that's really an order management um, solution. So we try to sell modules where they're most relevant, but there are customers that want a full lock stock change end to end. And there we, uh, we will do a full replatform as well, but we encourage um, our customers to take a more iterative approach because then they can see the results as they go make the changes versus, you know, build like a very large platform that's already obsolete by the time you go live. That makes sense. So you touched upon a little bit, but what are the most common, what are the most common pain points you're seeing today for brands and retailers? There's so many, but if I was to point out a few, um, order management, as I mentioned, is a big one. Where um, with multi with the introduction of multi-channel and omni-channel, the inventory availability, the cost to serve, the speed to serve, the ability to expose inventory, the ability for inventory to be real time, so encumbrances are captured, um, the ability to pick up from the store, ship from the store, return to the store, all of that sort of um, flexibility needed is not available in a monolithic system. It's all 
you know, glue code that's been written on top by existing retailers. And, and, you know, what's funny is that I, I see a lot of retailers that are um, sometimes when they, when they take a different approach, don't pick us, don't pick our competitors, just go do it themselves. I always ask like, uh, you know, if you're an apparel retailer or if you're a generic retailer selling a bunch of commodities and your answer is, we'll just, we're just going to build this ourselves. It's like saying fabric is going to go start manufacturing socks and t-shirts. Like why would fabric do that? Uh, Why would we go start building skincare products? We're a technology company. So what's, what's really surprising is the introduction of these CIOs and CTOs increases a lot of the cost inside of the organization because they want to just build um, the challenge is most of these CDOs, et cetera, are there for a couple of years. And then what's left behind is the, the artifacts of what was done. But every, every retailer should really, you know, in my opinion, as when I was in retail, focus on your core competency. Our core competency at Staples was selling office supplies. And because we had a very, very large business, uh, 20 plus billion, we could afford to go do some of the IP related work on technology. But if you're a sub hundred million dollar retailer and you're staffing up a very large engineering team to go build software, I think that's, that's very misguided. Uh, it's like saying a software company will go start building apparel or manufacturing apparel. It's, it's, it's like that. So uh, we try to encourage our customers to think, about what is the thorniest issues they're trying to solve and how can Fabric help? And Fabric can help. We have a lot of partners who we can bring into the mix to help them have a successful outcome. Yeah, no, I think you bring up a lot of great points. And we could probably have a whole sidebar conversation about this. But as I'm looking through some of the challenges, some of those fast-growing D2C, VC-backed companies have been having, I think they're pushed to grow in a lot of directions that send them in directions outside their core competencies and get themselves in a lot of trouble. <laughs> yeah, we've met DTCs that are building their own POS. We've met DTCs that are building their own sort of uh, custom order management. And I'm just always surprised, like if you had to take every dollar that your investors have given you, do you want to build software or do you want to build the product while you were you exist to begin with? Right. It's just, uh, it's very smart. Now, it's a different ballgame when you're, you know, multi-billions in size and sure. important that you've built a custom software inside and that you need to just keep building very different dialogue. And Fabric is not for those companies. You know, if you're 20 billion, you already have an, a very large team that can go do that stuff. Perhaps we can provide some APIs, but we're really not in the business of replatforming. But for the anybody sub three, four billion, it, it uh, I don't think it makes a lot of sense to me, but maybe maybe I'm wrong. Well, who do you on the flip? Who do you think is doing it well? Like, who do you think is really pushing the industry forward and is uh, forward thinking on consumer expectations as they're you know growing their company or developing you know new offerings? I struggle to come up with good names just because the large. The biggest players have not done well, right? Walmart has not done well. They've just been chasing Amazon for the past 20 years. And they're still about 20 years behind. Uh, Target, I would argue, has done well. They're, to, they're 
experiences are not the greatest, but they've built an incredible brand and they've really focused their energy on their private label, which as we all know, has done really well. But I mean, I buy Cat and Jack for my daughter all day long. Right. So inventory aside, they've done, they've done a really good job on that. Uh, are the web experiences that great? One could argue not the greatest, but uh, we did a coffee and commerce on them not so long ago. And we do this uh, short snippet podcast where we talk about different websites. Um, I struggle to come up with um, companies that have done well. Um, I hate to mention this, but like, let's take a Peloton. Uh, it's pretty easy to go get your treadmill or your bike from Peloton. It's pretty, a pretty simple process, I would say. Um, so that's an example of one that I think is, uh, simplistic, easy in and out. You can get stuff done. Um, I find Nike and others to not be that great, honestly, because the selection is quite poor. You can get the higher end Nikes at a store. You can't get it online. It's consumers expect what they think you sell to be available when they want it. And if there's a lot of gimmickry associated with doing that, it becomes a lot harder. So I would say Amazon is not good at selling brands. Amazon is really good at selling transactions. Um, Instagram is really good at selling brands, but they don't know how to do e-commerce. So I'm not answering your question, but um, from a world-class basis, I think Farfetch has done a pretty good job. Um, Here's a platform that kind of just really had an impact on the um, uh, brands world. but if I pick one out there, <laughs> um, I can't, I can't, I, I would say in experiences, I'll go to services, uh, Delta. Delta has done an incredible job. I think Delta is phenomenal at their, their app is phenomenal. They've done a really, really good job with that. Um, your flight is about to be delayed. You're proactively told what f- flights are available you're able to pick your seat, change the flight, get on that. I mean, there's stuff that they're doing that's very intuitive. Um, And if you notice, the travel industry is typically ahead Mm -hmm. of retail commerce in everything. Interesting. They did real-time pricing well before anybody else did. They did marketplace selling through Kayak and others well before some of these others existed. They're able to provide you package deals, combos, all of those things in a much more seamless way than retail caught up. So um, if you ask me, if you really force me to give you an answer, I think Delta has done a really good job. Um, I don't I don't think Walmart, Target or any of those fit into this. Lululemon and Nike are not bad, not that great. Um, because when you go, um, one, one, one challenge that you face is when you go to a Lululemon, Yes, you want to buy some of their stuff, but you want to have other selection as well to be able to just complete in a cart. And the fact that you're forced to only buy one brand when you don't have that much selection, I think that that's that's not the best customer experience. That's why retailers exist, because they sell multiple brands. Um, but no, I, I, I'll reserve. Uh, I think some of our customers are doing a really good job. I think Chico's and GNC are really, really trying hard to give that very unified customer experience. Mm-hmm. Um, restoration hardware has taken a different approach. They they expect the the 
showrooming and you know being the store and they've done a phenomenal job at that so it just depends on what your likes and dislikes are no i love how you dissected the industry and you have a high bar but also to your point sometimes the best in class examples come from out of category and i think that's also the opportunity there's ways in which food's been more innovative or you know the travel industry might have been more innovative and i think there's a lot retail can learn from that but you're also sitting in a lot of information um, so as you're kind of going through this process of thinking who does it well and who doesn't, what are you seeing in the expectations around consumer trends um, what do you, and how behaviors have evolved? Yes, we want to meet customers where they want, but anything else more specifically? Look, I think that um, Shopify has built an incredible product for SMBs, more the S, less the M, and really unlocked this category for DTCs that was unheard of, right? Amazon Web Store failed twice. I was there when it failed the first time, failed the second time again, and so did Amazon Checkout and a whole host of Amazon-related third-party type commerce services. They just, Amazon's not good at SaaS. That's not what they do well. They're good at infrastructure and they're good at fulfillment and, and retail, but not, not, not that. So Shopify definitely has, has shown the world how great they are. Where Shopify kind of falls down is, uh, you have an app for tracking your orders. That's almost taking a step back 10, 15 years because when you place an order on Amazon Prime, you will either never check the status of the order or you might check it one out of 100 times. Maybe that's me, but... Is that because you just know that they're so reliable? You're, you're sure it's coming because you know when you, when you consistently deliver so well, for so many years and you're paying for that service and you, you rely on Amazon to be accurate and transparent in their process, to go download an app to track your orders sounds literally draconian. Right. Going well, it's back. why the QR code finally took off because the phone changed and its ability for the camera to recognize a QR code eliminated the need to download an app in order to scan a code, right? That was the friction that needed to be eliminated. T totally. And, and, and I think that when, when shop app first came out, I was very excited and actually um, thought that, wow, this might be the beginning of a marketplace. But then I was quite disappointed because it wasn't. And it's, it's just a, it's just a random app to track orders, um, which, which makes no sense to me. So uh, while they've had a lot of success in one thing, they've not been very clear on the other thing. Um, and then fulfillment is Amazon's just, yes, Amazon's overcapacity right now. And they have been in the past as well. They've, this is not something new, um, but they're also the juggernaut, right? They, they own last mile delivery. Mm -hmm. I saw a graph the other day. They've surpassed FedEx in total packages. I mean, I mean, Amazon's mode in this is so, um, so far ahead at this point that um, I just don't see other retailers. But Amazon's own Achilles heel is offline retail. They're not good at that. And brands, no real brand wants to sell on Amazon. Although I've been surprised at some that have gone on. Because, because of the eyeballs. There's so many eyeballs there. But, but know that, I mean, I, I built Amazon Basics. I can tell you that uh, do it at your own risk, right? Once, once you've got high velocity, you know, just like Walmart will have a private label, Amazon Basics is coming for you. Yeah. So um, the, the trends are logistics is hard and Amazon's nailed it. Mm -hmm. 
Selling brands directly is hard because generating traffic is non-trivial, especially in this multi-touch privacy world, DTCs and deep trouble. Right. Especially what happened over the past few months, Facebook, a lot of them had a pivot. Right. And the CACs that used to look really good don't look that good anymore. So Amazon becomes a lot more important, right? For all these, you know, Shopify is just a, you know, um, a fun um, onboarding tool for Amazon, right? You get to list all your stuff on, on Amazon and sell on Marketplace and sell on Shopify. So I think marketplaces are not going away. They're going to become even more dominant. Um, logistics is important. Uh, when it comes to last mile, you know, I was in the drone delivery business. And that's another area where Amazon's just kind of completely failed. Um, it was supposed to be a moonshot. You know, moonshots are not that long. Um, they've just not been able to even deliver a single package. So, so there are things that, you know, they all do things well. Some do, some don't. But I think that uh, the, the, big, the big takeaway for me is that Multi-channel commerce is not is not going away, and consumers need choices, and that's where fabric is just so um, so relevant when it comes to being able to power those experiences through our APIs. So through this evolution, right, and and as a firm, you know, MG Two and Lioness Group, um, we very much sit in physical retail, and the conversation as this evolves is always what does. Yes, the store, the touch point along the journey shouldn't be thought of in channels. Well, what is the evolution of the role of the store in your mind? Yeah, um, great question. Uh, I think that there's some people talking about how Walmart's going to have all these fulfillment centers because now they can compete with Amazon. It's absolutely false. It's not going to work. The cost to pick and pack at a store is very different to pick and pack at an FC. Let's get that out of the way. So sure, they can fulfill, but it's it's going to be a non-trivial cost-to-serve difference. But if you really unpack what a store can do is, for a brand, having the store is that tactile experience that you need to provide, especially if you're selling a unique product that is your IP. Mm-hmm. So those stores serve an incredible purpose, right? Like you, you get to touch and feel the product and once you've recognized that and you trust the brand, then that online transaction becomes a lot easier because you're just like, okay. Because even though the returns are easy, there's still a hassle. There's still a hassle, right? You still have to, you buy it online and you're like, oh, wow, I didn't expect this. Now I want to change it. It's not fun. So I think um, retail stores are not for everyone. And we learned this very quickly, right? Amazon opened all these stores. Guess what? They closed all those stores. I did admire this, their approach to intelligent merchandising, though. I do still think there's an opportunity in that and more retailers should lean into that. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree. But when you have been in business for 30 some years, have all the data in the world, have all the resources in the world, and you go build a store that is the four star store, or whatever, that's not how customers shop. It's not how they start. I don't wake up in the morning and I say, I want to go get a four-star product today. It's, it's very misguided. And I think this is where Amazon sort of the day two is stepping in. You know, there's one day it's going to be day two. It's, it's been day one for a while. But this is where the uh, great ideas are born at Amazon is sort of stepping in. And, you know, I just don't. Whole Foods, what really changed? Nothing. Well, in yeah, fact, I know that that was successful. <laughs> It was what? I don't know that that was successful. It was not. 
and and part of the challenge is, you know, as Amazon has grown, they've also grown a lot of people internally that that single threaded ownership mindset is not there. So you've got a lot of cooks in the kitchen trying to run these different businesses. And one thing we know is stores are not for everyone. Stores are not for Amazon. And that's very clear. Stores are for brands that inspire customers mm -hmm. and customers have an affinity to shop from them. They want to go there because they want to know the newness. What's new? I want to see what's come out. And I think that's where it's going to be. It's, it's, it's not one size fits all. Everybody doesn't need a store. And just because you have a store doesn't mean it's a fulfillment center. Like right. this is where the, the sort of Twitter punditry kind of takes over the Monday morning quarterbacking on like, mm -hmm. oh, you should do this and do that. Well, no, you shouldn't because you don't know retail. You should think about what retail is. And retail is all about your customer, mm -hmm. your customer's needs. And if your customer's needs are as such that they need their product in three days, but they need it to be exactly what they wanted, that's totally okay. And so, you know, I, um, I used to run Groupon Goods. I started Groupon Goods. We grew that business from zero to about a billion in a year. And there were internally a lot of debates on like, oh, we should sell a million SKUs. And I always asked like, why would we do that? Well, just because, you know, we should sell more, we'll, we'll get more. That's not how it works. We had built a really great flywheel of manufacturers and vendors who had excess inventory and they wanted to get rid of that inventory within a day or two. Mm -hmm. And we had a customer base that was a vibrant, active customer base looking for deep, deep discounts that nobody could offer. Those flywheels made Groupon goods very powerful off the Groupon brand. Well, soon after I left, they started selling hundreds of thousands of SKUs or whatever it was. And the business died instead. Because identify what your, your core competency is and double down on that. Don't try to just copy other people. And I feel like that happens a lot just because the experience just doesn't exist. And, I agree. Uh, and that's, you know, Google's another example. Google's another, like, well, fifth leader later in Google commerce. It's a complete failure because Google doesn't know commerce. And they have a massive identity crisis because they, having worked there, I can tell you that there's not a single owner for GSX. Nobody owns commerce. Well, if nobody owns commerce, then who's going to run commerce? And hence, you know, I don't know, almost 10 years in, it's, 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 I would say still dead in the water. It's made no impact. I wrote about this. Um, uh, I published an article on this, which, which talked about the fact that Google can't figure out commerce and it won't. I'm going to have to give that one a read. So, um, okay. So then where are we going? You mentioned a couple things, right? And we always have to get, what do you think of the future before we let you go? You mentioned marketplaces. Are drones going to come to fruition? Let's see, is it AI? Uh, you and I have joked about what really is personalization. So what is, what is the future of retail? What does it look like in the next, we'll say five and then 10 years? I would say there's table stakes and then there's all the nice to have. The table stakes are your brand is able to serve you inventory, get it to you in a timely manner, provide full transparency, easy returns, great customer service, and the ability to then resell you, upsell you, cross-sell you other things that might be relevant to you. That is just table stakes, right? Where the inventory comes from, how much you keep, all, that's just all the plumbing that goes underneath. That's all the sausage making that you don't, the consumer shouldn't have to care about. Correct. Let's not make the consumer do all the work, right? So that's the table stakes. And Amazon's kind of set the bar, right? Like if you walk into an Apple store, do you ever want to go into a Sears again? You don't. 
right? You will probably never. I mean, it step couldn't be further from. <laughs> right, you would, you would never want to step inside that store. It's the same with Kohl's. Like, why would you step inside a Kohl's once you've been inside a, you know, um, a Nordstrom, or something like that, where the experiences is so different now. What what retail and brands have to realize is what is table stakes, and then what's on top of that. What can they do even better? And examples I'll give is like Restoration Hardware's um, ability to serve you food while you're shopping, and all of this experiential yeah, stuff. Yeah, lifestyle. Like, that great. lifestyle selling is, I think, that's absolutely powerful and should exist. Right. So looking forward. Um, I think social commerce still hasn't taken off, frankly, just because you can sell an item on TikTok doesn't mean anything, it means nothing. Um, right, it's, it's viral, day, but not sustainable. Yeah, I heard the other day that uh, uh, Meta has 3,500 people working in commerce. I can't validate these facts, but I, I heard this and from somebody from there, from Meta. And I was just shocked and like 3,500 people, like the experience is... You have to go click a shop button to go shop. Like that's not how you shop. So th there's a lot of confusion in the industry because commerce is so big, everybody wants it. And what they don't realize is that you have to get to the most rudimentary things about your consumer. What are they looking for? When do they want it? And what price are they willing to pay? So for me, drone deliveries are going to happen. It's just, it's not if, it's when. Um, for rural America and rest of the world, to get that package to you in a single package in a single zip code, it's too expensive. Drones will take over that. So that's going to happen. Fortunately, Amazon's not been able to do it, but Wing will. They're doing a pretty good job, and so is Zipline. Um, the rest of it, uh, when it comes to metaverse and all this other stuff, um, I think it's a long runway um, from a from a overall. How long will it take to get there? Uh, I think it's going to be a while. I'm still betting on a lot of this, but um, we don't even have basic e-commerce 2.0 figured out yet. Right. I'll try go and shop on um, albertsons.com or kroger.com or one of these sites. Like You'd be lucky if you're able to add an item to the cart because they expect you to log in before you do that. Like oh, these yeah. are, that needs to go. I'm over the line. These are some fundamental yeah. broken things in the system. So I think, um, yes, the future is going to be very interesting, but I think it's all present first. I agree. And then the last one you didn't touch upon, but I know you have an opinion, personalization. Yeah, I think we're still nowhere near where we need to be. Uh, as I explained earlier, you know, when you have... Uh, a uh, retailer like Petco that's been uh, has a consumer that's been using or uh, others, PetSmart, et cetera, has been using um, their service to do services for a while, but you still have to use the phone to set up appointments. Like it's just, what's the point of having all this data if you're not going to actually use it the right way? Correct. That's the classic issue of we need data, we need data for what? What are you going to do with it? Right. Meanwhile, the same companies are talking about metaverse. Like, hold on. You can't even tell customers when their package is arriving or how to set up an appointment. You want to be on the metaverse. Like this is this is the challenge of the industry that it's always the what's the hot new thing. Right. That everybody chases and then they forget about those core aspects and competencies and things that they need to perfect first. And and Walmart is at the forefront of that. They still haven't solved Walmart.com. 
but they want to be in the metaverse and they want to sell on TikTok and they want to do all these things. I, if you're an Amazon Prime member, why would you ever go to Walmart? It's very, you, for sure. Why, why would you ever do that? Mm-hmm. You wouldn't. So they launched Walmart Plus, again, another copy, like, okay, and then what? Nothing. It's not going to work. So it's stuff like that, like really, really unpacking and focusing on what is most important to your consumer, not what your competition is doing, not what others are saying. You have the data on your consumer. What is the best thing you can do for your consumer? Mm -hmm. That's what needs to be the focus. Yeah, I agree. Well, I will say as the last time we spoke, I always appreciate your candor and honesty. <laughs> and it's, it's good. We want to have these authentic conversations, right? As we're all trying to think about what the future of retail is um, and how brands and retailers can do a better job um, of serving their customers' needs and wants. So thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Again, everybody, this is um, Faisal Masood, CEO of Fabric. Um, If you want to learn more, definitely go check them out online and appreciate the time you took with us today. Until next time, here is another episode of Retail Refined. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care.